Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to give you a couple of instructions. And before you, before you uh, follow through on the instructions, I will say, ready, set, go. And then you know to do it, okay? So here are my instructions. During the last midterm election, if you voted Democrat, I'll want you to get up and come and sit in the front of the church. And if you voted Republican, you can go and sit in the back of the church. And if you voted third party, I don't know, you can sit on the floor or something, okay? Ready, set, I really, that's not a good idea. Let's not do that, actually. Um, Oh, I've got a better one. Let's do this one instead. Uh, Last Sunday, if you were cheering for the Minnesota Vikings to win their first playoff game, you can stay today and the rest of you can leave. (laughs) Ready? (laughs) No, okay, let's... Hey, uh, good, good news. Good news for you guys that the Vikings lost is that I probably don't need to talk about the Vikings for a couple of months now. So... We'll set that aside. All right, let's not do that one either. Let's do this instead. If you're interested in learning more about what it means to follow Jesus as a united people, or if you already believe that you are following after Jesus, stay right where you are. Ready? Set? Go. Okay, good. Nobody moved. (laughs) I wasn't sure. Take a deep breath. Ask God today to open up your mind and your heart and your life to hear his word and respond accordingly. Those little exercises that we just did or (laughs) that I threatened to do just prove the point in your internal thinking about what is Pastor Aaron doing that every one of us here, we follow something. You follow something or someone or a a set of some things. Even within this room, there is great diversity in the kinds of worldviews that you have. Each of us come to this place today with our own little world. You could say that every one of us have uh, an algorithm of life. (laughs) Those of you who are technologically savvy, maybe this makes sense, but even if you don't use any technology, if you never go on the internet or social media, I think you still have an algorithm of your life. What I mean is you have have these voices, this source of information that is pouring into you, shaping your thinking and your perspective and your worldview. You listen to certain news anchors. You read certain papers or magazines. You have people speaking into your life that you surround yourself with. Those of you that do use technology, everything that you do out there has an algorithm that's affecting your life online. You may or may not know this, but your YouTube profile, YouTube knows what kind of content to show you next. It knows what kind of videos you want to watch. Your social media platforms, it knows what kind of content to put in front of you next. 
Google knows which kind of ads you want to see. Every single one of these things gathering thousands upon thousands upon thousands of data points on your life to shape your perspective, to predict your thoughts and your movements before you even know that you're going to do these things. So it really is as though each of us has our own little world. These uniquely tailored algorithms of life which their primary goal is to capture your attention, to capture your mind, to capture your heart, to capture your finances, to capture your relationships, to drive you into a deeper and deeper following of what they're putting in front of you. We live in a divided and fractured world right now. I don't need to tell you that. And it's not even just divided right down the middle. There are all kinds of splinters to this division. And there are many reasons for the division in this world, but a big one is the fact that we all are living life as individuals. You've got this algorithm of your life speaking into you, shaping you and molding you. And the more time and the more energy you invest into that thing, the deeper and deeper your personalized version of the world becomes. And the more deeply ingrained in that personalized version of the world do you become. And when we do that, when we live life that way, we have a really hard time uniting with other people because we don't even want to understand where they're coming from. So there are these huge gaps of misunderstanding between individuals and between groups of people. And and we look at these these different people of different viewpoints and, and we say, they're just wrong. They're just plain wrong. Their perspective is not right. They're they're too progressive. They're they're too old fashioned. They're too whatever, name it. And so these big gaps of misunderstanding occur. We place judgments upon one another. We slander each other. We malign each other. We take sides. We silence the opposition. We cancel the other voices. We do everything so that our little worldview becomes the worldview, or we think it should, and we don't want anybody else's to get any say. It's a world we live in, right? Jesus has a solution. And his solution is upside down. It's a solution different than the solution the world will offer you. We at St. Peter and Paul, over the course of these couple of weeks, we're talking about the upside down kingdom of God, that in this kingdom of God, Jesus' way is different than the ways of the world. He just does things differently. We're looking at the first couple chapters of 1 Corinthians, and today we're going to talk about the upside-down nature of unity, of unity, and particularly unity that comes when people collectively follow Jesus. Now, this follows right on the footsteps of the sermon I preached last week about the grace of God. We talked last week about how none of us deserve to have God's grace. We don't earn it. 
We don't deserve it, and yet he loves us and forgives us and gives us eternal life just because he gives it to us. He's full of grace. And when Jesus offers us that gift, that package, and we open it up and we see it's full of life and salvation, it also comes with the invitation and the command, follow me. Follow me, Jesus says. Unity in Jesus Christ through people collectively following Jesus, it's a beautiful concept. Unity is what God created in the very beginning. In the perfect creation, all of creation was in perfect harmony. A husband and a wife, no longer two, but one flesh. God himself, the creator, walking in the midst of the garden. Perfect unity. It's what God designed. It's what he desires for us to have. But humanity is terrible at being united. And that's why God sent his son Jesus into this world to reconcile the world to the Father. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That means the command that we come together and put back together what has been broken in our earthly relationships as well. So, how are we doing? How are you doing at living a united life with other people in your pursuit of Jesus? The Bible talks often about this topic of unity. It's all over, in particular in the New Testament, because divisions were running rampant. And for basically the same reasons that they run rampant in our society to this day. Those New Testament churches faced all the same problems. Societal classes lording their riches over one another. There were gender issues. There were racial divides. It was all present there. And all throughout the New Testament, in every letter that Paul writes, he has to deal with this topic of unity. And he talks about unity and how to get there in a variety of different ways and with different metaphors. Paul talks sometimes about um, striving to be one body, that we are all different kinds of members of this one body with Jesus' head. Paul talks often about humbling yourselves before other people, thinking less of yourself and more often of others. He speaks of loving one another, forgiving one another, serving one another, all of these things which contribute to unity. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, before getting to any of those things, Paul talks about unity coming through following Jesus. When people follow Jesus, Jesus, with their everything, unity takes place. In the city of Corinth, uh, Paul had lived there among the people for a number of years. He started the church in Corinth. There were no Christians there before him. And he, he taught the people. He planted a church. He discipled key leaders. And then he left and moved on to a new city. By the time Paul wrote this letter, he had been out of Corinth for about four years. So in four years of him being gone, there were all kinds of issues that came up. And Paul gets report from different people, 
and he responds to the church in Corinth, dealing with their issues, with their conflicts, and offering theological wisdom and insight. And and Paul begins this letter, this 1 Corinthians letter, by dealing with their division over who their favorite Christian teacher was. I follow Pastor Kevin. I follow Marcus. I follow Pastor Aaron. Where's Pastor Dave? We want him back. He's right over there. He's retired. Um, that's what they were doing. They, they all had their, their favorite Christian teachers. I follow a Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. And they meant it. They actually had these little groupies, okay? They, like little segments within the church, and they would belittle one another. They would speak poor about the people who followed whatever other teacher. And Paul gets word of this after he's been gone for four years. And he starts this letter to them, writing to them saying, you people have got to be kidding me. None of us came preaching ourselves. We came preaching Jesus. And is Jesus divided? Come on. I ask you, my friends, who are you following? Who are you following? Do you follow Jesus? Like, actually? Fully? With your everything? Think about that algorithm of your life and the way that it affects you. How does that algorithm of your life get to you? First of all, again, whether you're on technology or not, there are voices vying for you. And they get after you by piquing your interest. Whether it be an intellectual thought you're interested in or or some some heartache that they promise they can solve for you. So they, they capture your intellect and your mind. And then if you take another step in, they'll offer you the opportunity to invest financially by offering you a service or a product to meet that need. So you'll invest financially in the thing that you follow. And then you'll even invest relationally as you go around the world telling other people you won't believe this product, this service that I've found that changed my life, your life. If you're dealing with the same thing, would be so much better as well. See, when you follow after something, you invest intellectually. You invest financially, you invest relationally, you you go on and on. You invest your whole self in the things that you follow fully. So, are you following Jesus? Are you following Jesus actually and fully? Just think about your last week. How much time did you intentionally spend following the lead of Jesus? In your life this last week, were Christian concepts capturing your mind? What kinds of words of Christ were covering you as you dealt with your work, 
or your family or your health issues, as you wrestled through the stresses of life, was Jesus leading you? Did you hear His Word? Did you make any financial contributions to the causes of Christ in this last week? Whether it be through your offerings at church or your your simple generosity to your neighbors in need or to a cause that proclaims the name of Christ, did you invest anything of your material resources? What about your relationships? Did you have any conversations this last week with anyone talking about the hope that is yours in Jesus Christ and telling other people who are struggling in this world that life is better when you follow Jesus? We do all of these things with the things we follow in this world. And so I just have to ask you, are you following Jesus? Because when you follow someone, you follow with your whole self. It's what Jesus asks. There was a rich man who came to Jesus one time and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, sure, you can follow me. But first go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Then come and follow me. The Bible tells us that the rich man walked away sad because he was very wealthy. Possessions are not the problem, but the man's heart was afflicted. He wasn't willing to give up his control on life. He wasn't willing to give up his power and prestige, and so it saddened him to think that he, that's what he would have to do. In contrast to that rich man, we have our reading from Matthew chapter 4 today, where Jesus called some of his first disciples. He says this, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed Jesus. In contrast to the rich man who walked away dejected because he didn't want to give up, these guys immediately dropped everything. They dropped their livelihoods. They dropped their financial resources. They dropped their relationships with their family and they followed Jesus. When you follow something, truly following that thing, you follow with your everything, with your mind, with your finances, with your relationships. So I ask you, are you following Jesus? Because here's where Jesus leads us, friends. Jesus leads us into unity with other people. Jesus leads us into community with others. And I already painted for you that beautiful idea of what true unity looks like in the garden where creation works together in perfect harmony, where humanity lowers their pride and their own perspectives on the way the world should be and it follows after Jesus. 
This is what Jesus designed, and this is what Jesus desires for us to have. And we can have it, not just in heaven at some other point, but even here in this world, in this moment, it is possible when you and I sacrificially and willingly lay down our pride, lay down our power, lay down our control, lay down our perspectives, and follow after Jesus. Because what's the algorithm of your life? Consider it again. How are you normally being fed in this world? What voices are surrounding you? Those algorithms of the world, they know you. Scarily so. Probably better than you even know yourself. Predicting your moves before you even know you're going to make them. Those algorithms of the world, they, they, they know your wishes, your wants, your desires, your struggles, your frustrations. And, but what they're trying to do is seek to cater a world to you in which you buy their ideas, buy their products, and dive deeper and deeper and deeper into following after them. That's it. To me, that sounds like a lousy replacement for what Jesus promises to be and bring into your life and into this world. Because Jesus knows your needs. Jesus knows your hurts. Jesus knows your struggles. Jesus knows your pain. Jesus knows your frustrations. And he's done something about it. They were buried with him on the cross and raised to new life. You have this free gift of new life in Christ. The world feeds you with what you want to hear. Jesus feeds you with what you need to hear. And sometimes that's a painful word to hear, but I pray it's a good word. And I pray today your ears and your mind and your heart are open to this word of God moving and active in your life and that he would give you the desire of your heart to follow after him with everything, with everything. Now, just hear me. I'm not saying that you can't be part of the world. I'm not saying you can't be in the world. I'm not saying you can't buy things off of sponsored ads. Sometimes they tell you really good stuff to buy, and I've I've done that as well. What I am telling you is this. I want you to be conscientious and pay close attention to the ways that the world is trying to demand more and more and more of you. And instead of doing that, let Jesus be the place where your eyes are fixed. Let him lead you into perfect unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a good place to be. I don't know if, if I've told you this. I think I have, but being one of your pastors is a true joy, and it's an incredible challenge. In particular, over the last couple of years, things have not been easy. As we've dealt with COVID and everybody's perspectives and worldview on how things should have been. But along with that, the political divides and the racial unrest, it's, it's hard to look at all of that and say, was that our reality? And it certainly was. But I don't know if you remember this, but as your pastor, my prayer that I prayed publicly, I prayed it in every video announcement I sent to you letting you know what we're doing. I, I wrote it in every letter I sent out. It was my prayer then, it's still my prayer today, 
My prayer was that we as a church would have our eyes on Jesus, not on what the world is saying, but our eyes on Jesus, that we would follow him and be obedient to his calling and be united in him. That was my prayer then and it is to this day. I think we weathered the storm pretty well because we kept our eyes on Jesus. And I think we're stronger even today than we were then. So let us continue then. Let us continue to boldly pursue Jesus. Let us follow him. Let us put aside our perspectives and follow him and let the scriptures be fulfilled in our midst. That even in this room, even though some of you are strangers from one another, let us be one. Let the scriptures be fulfilled that, that in our midst, people of every nation and language and tribe and tongue would find unity at the throne of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, declaring praises to him. Let us lay aside our pride. Let us lay aside our power and listen to the voice of the one who calls to us. Follow me. In Jesus' name, amen.